0: Empty devils, they eat what shines. My name is Matthew Kroll. And the world is a hungry place. My name is Shaheer Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Dr. Sleep.
1: I could do it some more sleep right now.
0: I know, same. We're doing this very early. We're both very sick. I was even going to do it. He's the one that called Dr. Doctor, F- doctor Sleep. But like that, I can't even get it into you know the, the song. That he's going to make it feel all right. Uh, My brain uh, is a bed of cats right now. Uh, and, and we're all full of snot. <laughs> and it's early. And you get to listen to these sultry, uh, snotty voices voices
1: for the next hour talking about uh, a a film we saw. A film we saw (laughs) directed by Mike Flanagan, which is, uh, uh, I'm really excited about that because uh, I think uh, we both called out when we did the uh, episode on Ouija, 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 Origin of Evil, that was like, this guy, yeah, I like what this guy's putting down. I even if I didn't love, I didn't love, love, love that movie, but I thought it was pretty, pretty solid.
0: I don't remember my opinion on it, but I think that I, <laughs> I enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, but but I just remember the my main takeaway from that was going. I like what this guy Mike Flanagan's putting down, and then I the, and then I felt that 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 uh, that sensibility, that feeling that I had, was validated by both by um, his adaptation of Gerald's Game and the Haunting of Hill House. Yes, yep, um, yep. So, yep, yep. so I'm excited that uh, that an early prediction that we had has uh, started is starting to come to fruition.
0: It's interesting because with uh, with his his sort of I don't want to call it well, no, it is style, I guess. Like we we've been for as far as like the. Non-franchise, though now it's turned into franchise uh, haunting films. Like, and I'll call this, for instance, like um, the Annabelle or whatever. What, what's the Conjuring, the Conjuring? The Conjuring stuff.
1: Insidious. When
0: when Conjuring came out, yeah, everyone has just been trying to mimic. The Conjuring, like right. all of the sort of side horror projects that have to do with a supernatural haunting or, or a, an essence in a place mm-hmm. have done that. I felt like Ouija Origin of Evil, while while definitely in the same wheelhouse, mm-hmm. didn't feel to me like those films. And that was what I was kind of excited about because it, it, it almost felt a little bit like, um, uh, I don't know, just a homogenization of like what that style of horror would be. What do you mean by homogenization? Just like everything, like I never after like the Conjuring two, and then a couple side things. Like even even when they redid, um, what was the murder on the house in the? Oh god damn! Uh, the the one with Ryan Reynolds. It was a remake. It was about a house. Oh yeah, Amityville. Amityville horror, like. <laughs> Like, all of these things that were not The Conjuring just started feeling
1: like The Conjuring. Well, this is the James Wan and Blumhouse uh, yeah. kind of mold of filmmaking. And I think, you know, like, the the thing is, that The Conjuring, both uh, Saw and Sidious, they were very successful for the, for, uh-huh. for them. So it's always about trying to find the next version of that. And of I think, course. And I think they're successful for a good reason, which is that they're crowd pleasers.
0: Oh, yeah, no, 100%. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just <laughs> saying I, I just kept seeing the same thing throughout these films. And then in, in Ouija, I did feel like due to the style he was putting down, while the story was kind of similar, it Mm. didn't feel to me like it belonged in that, like, full part of that Venn diagram.
1: Hmm. That's that's strange, because I thought Ouija, Origin of Evil, which I believe is a Blumhouse film, was very much in that mold. I just was excited by his direction. Um... The uh, other thing I would be really fascinated to go back by is I had such a great time watching The Conjuring in a theater. Mm. Uh, I'd be really curious to go back and revisit that because I really dug that movie. Uh, I remember you not liking it a lot. It was fine. Oh, I remember you railing on it uh, against and, The Conjuring. Yeah, in a couple of episodes, you were like, "I hate this movie." Huh. Uh, I guess
0: I don't remember it strongly enough. My brain has <laughs> been—I've uh, been putting stuff in it, and it just—it it, it knocks things off the cliff of memory. Okay. Um, real, go back if you listeners, if you. Can find it, please let me know. Actually, maybe maybe Zach knows. Yeah, um, we've I...
1: got a to listener to Zach who's been listening to every <laughs> single episode on Twitter. He's got an email on this episode, which uh, I I love these Twitter reviews because it's like it, jo- it refreshes my memory as well. I was like, oh yeah, did we talk about
0: that? I mean, we've been talking we've been talking movies. I mean, just recording these <laughs> discussions for about three years now, and so we're at like two forty something. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I, you know what? I'm not gonna remember every opinion that didn't like really strong, but it's strange that you say I was like strong, like fuck that movie. I got I really gotta find that. Because, I, I, just, like,
1: I recall that maybe I'm wrong about that maybe Zach uh, who is the uh, the, the historian day, the the only podcast about only movie podcast what are we going to do the only podcast about movies, uh, historian. He is the uh, what is that character from Game of Thrones who goes to the library? A Sam? Is it Sam? Yeah, Sam. Sam. He's the Sam of our world. Uh, he's killed two White Walkers. That's yeah. what I heard. Yeah, he's he's genuinely he's the real hero. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, wow. Uh, yeah. No, I'd be really interested to see if we could find that because I I I. Maybe I was railing against
1: it because I didn't like the same. I don't write. Maybe you're just an angry person. I am. Uh, um, yeah. uh, the world is a hungry place. We've got a few emails this uh, this week uh, writing in at Only Movie Podcast. We've got Joe who writes in to uh, bring back from the dead the never-ending conversation of the definition of unnecessary. This is
0: almost what you
1: know. What happens if we, rail, if we rally on a tangent for 20 minutes. Yeah, this is what happens. Uh, you want to take this or shall I take I'll this? Take it, I'll take it.
0: All I'll right, take here it. you go. Uh, Joe writes, uh, I am writing to throw my hat into the ring on the conversation, trying to define the word necessary. I tend to side with Matt on this, though I also find myself debating the intricacies of this question. I personally have some criteria for what makes a piece of art necessary, but I do not feel these are ironclad and gladly welcome debate on them. This is a conversation that started way back in Plato's Republic and will continue long after us. Very true. Uh, I per- my personal criteria for what makes a work necessary are threefold. And he has a nice little list here. I would like it. Number one, the work must be of service to its audience. Two, the work must be of service to its creator. And three, the work must be of service to itself or its related works. He says, I believe that El Camino in this case wasn't actually made to be an ending to Breaking Bad or to tie up loose ends that the series left hanging, even though that's what it started as. I feel that El Camino first and foremost services the creators by letting everyone involved with bringing Jesse Pinkman to life, finally have some closure and properly say goodbye to him. It is by that virtue that I believe El Camino is necessary as a piece of art. Is it necessary for you to watch it? No. (laughs) Does it impact its liked works? Not terribly. Is it something that those involved felt needed to be made? Absolutely.
1: I eagerly await your thoughts. Ah, yes. The unnecessary conversation that has come back. Um, I, I, the, you know, thinking back on that episode, I think the thing for me is that I didn't think that the term unnecessary required a lengthy conversation because the actual substance of what I wanted to talk about there was feeling that the film feeling that the show was unnecessary but still had value um and and i think that uh, rubbed you the wrong way matt
0: well yeah i mean i just I, again uh yeah i don't want to open up pandora's box but it's just a matter of like i never disagreed with you feeling a certain way about the film i just disagree with the terminology you were using because right. you know th- that just I, I didn't i didn't think it was in being used correctly right. um i do like the list here yeah uh but joe i will say this by that account well it, but actually i guess it kind of goes further into what i was saying by that account anything is necessary depending on what i mean i could, you you could fit most likely almost any piece of art into one of those three categories if if this is the criteria that we were going on
1: right uh, yeah and and i think that's a that's an interesting broader conversation i just you know again i'm i'm uh, and I'm tired right now, but I, I yeah, also don't. I I did. I just think the word unnecessary is not a word that requires uh, a lengthy dissertation in order to use it in a conversation about about a piece of art. I thought and, about and, it, and you know, and I think, and I think that's that is what you know. Like like I'm not. We we use words. Where it's a podcast, sure. it's a conversation. You understand what the word unnecessary means.
0: But I think what what the word unnecessary means. Uh, in my opinion of it, I guess, or what I what I believe the definition to be uh, gives it a real dismissive tone. I think that's where I actually came down on it right um, because while you don't think so, it is necessary for your viewing that's why I kept wanting to say unnecessary to you, if you just say something is blanket unnecessary, that gives a real like this doesn't matter at all tone.
1: but that so uh, you could go to a restaurant, for example, and say uh, and have dinner and say uh, dessert is not necessary. As unnecessary that doesn't mean dessert in general is not required or or dismissive of it is that right you know like and um yeah but
0: you wouldn't but, but if the waitress came back and said would you like dessert you would not say no dessert is
1: unnecessary like why, why wouldn't you say that because why?
0: you're not a. it just doesn't make it you say oh no thanks like there's there's ways that conversation <laughs> works around it
1: so words can only work in in certain ways Like you, you, <laughs> you would to
0: say that at a restaurant would not only seem a little bit weird in common english vernacular at this point in time okay uh but also it's like you you wouldn't think You're, that someone if someone offered you anything, yeah. or I'm sorry if you offered someone everyone and they said no that's unnecessary or if like hey do you want a glass of water no that's unnecessary like you'd be like okay. Like, you'd be a little weird. You, you wouldn't be?
1: No, I, I just don't think... All right. Well, we're not, right. well, not going to agree. U- the problem is I don't think it's an incorrect usage. And and and, and It's a y-
0: overly harsh, dismissive usage. That was my thing. I don't think it's entirely accurate, because if you want to look at what the word actually means, you'd have what to get through all... What does the actually of- mean? Well, let's even go with no, what no, Joe what said.
1: Define it for me. I, literally, Joe just did it. Let's <laughs> we're, just, we're, I like
0: Joe's thing, but that, by that point, you can actually... Because it's all different, it's all subjective. Something can be necessary to someone without being necessary to another person.
1: Unnecessary means not needed.
0: Sure, but then <laughs> we have these criteria of what that sort of knocks you into the c- the category of unneeded. Right. Again, we're not going to yeah, agree. This is, we're it's not going to okay. agree on this one. Okay. But Joe, thank you for writing in. Um, moving on, why don't we do the next email? <laughs>
1: okay, coming in from Alias, who writes us in about Gemini Man and 120 frames per second. This was a slightly longer email, so apologies, Alias. We had to cut this one down just for time. Uh, I know I'm late to the discussion, but I wanted to say how disappointed I am to hear that the HFR release of Gemini Man suffers from technical issues, lighting and colors, and so on. Um, I raised an eyebrow at Gemini Man being 120 frames per second. But otherwise, I really wish HFR could get a win one of these days. <laughs> a common thing that is said about HFR is that it makes everything look fake, which some people used to say during the transition from SD to HD. That was solved by better props and sets. Do you think there could be a similar solution for HFR? Love the show. Thank you, Elias. I appreciate that. Oh, email. This yes, was a- thank you. Uh, there was a longer uh, component to this email about video game frame rates and the origin of a uh, yep. of twenty four frames per second. So uh, thank you for all that detail uh, in the conversation. Um, my thing with one hundred twenty frames per second is is exactly what you are saying, which is that it, it amplifies the um, the um, the mechanism by which films are made, which is performance, uh, sets, props, you know, all that sort of stuff, and it, it amplifies all of that detail um, to an extent which makes the language of uh, of how these things are put together feels somewhat um, yeah I agree fake. And and I think um, Matt, you had a good point about this, which is I think the the language of editing doesn't seem to have changed that much both between Billy Lynn's long to halftime walk and um, Gemini Man. There's one sequence in Gemini Man which I think sort of um, brings it closer to akin to a video game, which is that it, you know, we we avoid cutting for a long period of time. Yeah. But the camera does move a lot in that period. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am, uh, I am of the opinion. I, I look. I think James Cameron has kind of um, put a little bit of the nail in the coffin in terms of this conversation. I think I, I and and what I think there is that HFR. To me, doesn't feel like a selling point for a movie. I think it's a tool set that could be used to improve certain components of the movie, but it's yeah. not a reason I would go see a movie. Um, there was a, a documentary um, that was shot in sixty frames per second. I believe called Aquarelle, um, which is a, a, a sort of dis, a visual essay about water and um, climate change and that sort of thing. So I think that would be a really good use uh, use case scenario for it. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm you know I I am of the feeling that HFR should be like a behind-the-scenes tool set, uh, not necessarily a, uh, uh, like, go see this because it's 120 frames. It's a brand of paint. Right. Like,
0: I, I, it, it's, it's not something that I think at this point is ever going to move tickets in the way that, like, 3D, at least when it started, like, really did move tickets. Right. Um, I think also, it's interesting, the... Um, The transition from HD or SD to HD, I think it's actually slightly different Mm -hmm. though because that sort of – so when SD to HD happened, I I would not say that what we started seeing looked fake. I would say what we started seeing looked cheap because we're seeing all the imperfections – of the thing in in the same sort of frame rate that we're used to seeing it like I, the thing I always go back to is the up-res, um Star Trek the Next Generations with the new with the new graphics that they have with them the first couple seasons of that show like before you just remember them like in pristine spacesuits and like the hallways of the Enterprise are clean and everything looks like it's made of cardboard and you can just see like thread, like literal threads coming off the sewn parts of their of their costumes and you're just like where am I so like the because of the additional the addition of um, uh, resolution, Solution, then that's sort of what it was i don't think that the 2k or the 4k is that different from 1920 or whatever the film was shot at like or that you know that film was shot at 4k but that, that's not what i think makes the actual fakeness of this uh hdr thing i think the the actual fact that we're seeing the frame rates and not exactly the same amount of uh motion blur and that sort of thing is what makes it have that unreal or fake feeling um and, and maybe we'll get somewhere to it, but I 100% agree with you, Shahir, that it's not going to be the thing where it's like – you have to see this movie because it's a 120 frames a sec like it's just not gonna happen whereas the water documentary you just described makes total sense from a thematic and, and um context of what the film is trying to show you uh, how that would be better to show you it in 60 frames a second
1: I'm gonna take a little side diversion here and uh for alias and I and I it's it's a slightly risky one but I'm gonna do it anyway because it's <laughs> living uh, on the edge uh the the transition from AC to HD I think was most and this is true of most technologies uh, was most most noticeable um, for viewers and for critics and uh, um, and theorists in pornography and in pornography the question mark became because the the usage of pornography requires a certain degree of disbelief or a certain degree of like <laughs> ju- of just like you know like shutting off some part of your brain into like enjoying it and and what HD did and I think there is writings about this um, HD kind of revealed a lot more detail than people uh, both behind the camera were used to or wanting to reveal and so the the transition from I- SD to HD meant that the language of pornography uh, changed entirely uh, around that period. And and um, I think one of the the best theorists on uh, pornography is a is a uh, academic by the name of Linda Williams, and she probably has written something about the transition from SD to HD. Or if not, her writing on like. Um, uh, the history of pornography and the way um, it uh affixed culture yeah. uh, is really fascinating um, so yeah i would it's the uh, um for, for, it's a it's a risky divergent in terms of like googling <laughs> hd pornography uh, but i'm 18 just saying plus, it's, 18 it's, plus in it's, the it's united a, states it's a really interesting topic
0: uh, so are you saying that the real savior of hdr at 120 frames a second is going to be pornography no <laughs>
1: there is a, there there is a um, there is a prevailing theory that most technologies in cinema have their first testing grounds in pornography, um, because because pornography is more akin to the uh, theme park ride or the 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 I guess the sort of attraction uh, you know the 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 highway attraction kind of feel to it. So so they're more willing to try things out in pornography than they are in mainstream movies. Uh, it's it's a it's a big topic. Um, uh, definitely worth researching, but uh, maybe let's with, throw that uh, on
0: our on our pile after violence and cinema.
1: Yeah, but maybe in <laughs> our, in incognito mode. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do this last email. Unless yeah. we good, okay, move it on.
0: Uh, <laughs> all right, this is from Zach. Uh, As you know, I've been working through the catalog of episodes. Well, thank you, Zach, again. And I made it to your Drive episode, episode 63. I can't believe it's been going that long. Uh, And I will say I'm going to stop writing the Twitter reviews for now. Uh, That's okay, Zach. Uh, But I will make a video recapping my opinion when I finish the backlog. Uh, My real statement is that I totally agree with Matt on Drive. Yeah! (laughs) Um, And I have to wonder how in God's name... Uh, did Shaheer like that movie so much? It had so many editing and direction problems that I feel it would normally bug Shaheer, but, uh, he is unreasonably kind to the movie, at least in this podcast episode. Shaheer, if you would like to defend yourself, uh, please feel free. P.S. Don't get your ego too high, Matt. Also, that's impossible. Because I wildly disagree with your opinion on Spotlight, but that is an issue for another time!
1: Uh, yeah, so it's been a while since drive. Uh, by the way, uh, Zach, uh, I love these Twitter reviews. Uh, they're such a uh, a fun trip down memory lane for me <laughs> to just read these, and I'm like, I am tempted every now and again after you say something to like, oh, maybe I should go and listen to that episode. Uh, but uh, time is of the essence yes. there in terms of uh, my life slowly coming to an end. Well, and also and also
0: all of our lives <laughs> slowly coming to an end. And also, Zach, we appreciate the Twitter reviews. You don't don't do not feel obligated whatsoever to continue any uh, of the experiment I, no, that I, you are doing.
1: I really, I, I'm just, I'm gunning for. You. To get through these, uh, and not not just because I think it, I think it's fascinating, and I and I think uh, um, your reviews are really really great. Uh, in terms of Drive, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, it has been a while since I've seen Drive. It has been a while since I, I recall what we said on that episode. Uh, I think my feeling of it was this. Um, first time I watched it I uh, was mixed on the movie but I thought it had it was stylistically and thematically rich uh, the second time I watched it I kind of got more in sync with what those stylistic and thematic um, ideas were, and I think for me the 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 issue with drive, uh, I don't see the the in fact the the editing and directing problems I really don't uh, don't see and I disagree with uh in terms of there being so many of those because I think it's so stylistically uh well executed. um the issue I think um a lot of people have with drive is that uh you know, and this was seen in the case where people where a woman tried to sue it because she thought she was getting a fast and the furious movie and did not get uh that <laughs> is that, the movie is far more exist- is far more concerned with an existential crisis than it is with an act- with a with a action crisis and um in that, in those regards i think it's a fascinating film about the the nature of um, The nature of oneself if you remember the the main parable in drive and it's it's on uh ryan gosling's uh jacket is the scorpion and the frog and you know like the scorpion and the frog is the story of a scorpion who a frog who carries a scorpion across the the river and the scorpion eventually stings the frog and as they're going down the frog says why did you do that and says because i'm a scorpion and and i think that's kind of what i found most compelling about drive which is that is the driver the ryan gosling character capable of being more than what he is uh you know he says right at the beginning i'm a driver i only drive but he gets embroiled in this uh, uh in this sort of bigger p- plot because of uh his feelings for uh, his neighbor i think so so to that extent I think it's a far more existentially uh, poised film, which is why I actually enjoy it more than uh, um, I think a lot of people did. Um, but it, but it, it, that's also a film that's grown in a lot of people's estimations. And the other part of this is... Um this is not uh, a sort of parlor trick for Nicholas Winding Refn. This is what his body of work is about. Um, if you have uh, seen, well, I don't know if I can convince you to see other uh, films of his, but the Pusher trilogy, his original trilogy that he shot in Denmark, is really extraordinary. Bronson is amazing, and um, my personal favorite of his, which a lot of people didn't uh, didn't see, is Valhalla Rising. Uh, Valhalla Rising is really amazing. I haven't continued up, uh, kept up with his films. I know he did. Uh, Neon Demon and uh, Only God Forgives, and he's done a he's done a TV show, which I think is having the same issues, which is that it's a beautifully shot TV show that everyone is kind of like, oh my god, this thing's going to be gorgeous, sure. <clears throat> but it's very slow, ponderous, and that's kind of what his body of work is about. So I think it's entirely in line with that, and that's why I like that film. All right, um, yeah, yeah, I no. think that's a, that's a
0: that's a solid defense. Uh, I, I think I think
1: uh, let's go to the Spotlight next time. Yeah, let's see. Let's do
0: Spotlight. I'll do my de- I'll do my Spotlight defense next time. Someone writes about Spotlight, or my my Spotlight attack, my defense of my opinion on Spotlight. If you yeah. want my opinion on Drive, go listen to the Drive
1: episode because <laughs> it's long. Um, Basically, yeah. what all of these emails are saying is we have a lot of episodes, a lot of background. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching a movie and uh, if you're watching a slightly older movie and you're going, I wonder if there's an episode about that on the only podcast about movies, you're probably right.
0: Chances are. Chances are you are correct. Well, thank you, Zach. Thank you, everybody, who wrote in. Uh, Also, if you'd like to write in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at onlymoviepod on Twitter. Also, please give us those five-star reviews if you can spare all those stars. Uh, on the iTunes box, also uh, subscribe. I don't know if we've ever actually asked people to subscribe. That does feel like a weird YouTube type thing to do, but mm-hmm. subscriptions um, do actually help us if you do that on on the podcast uh, platform of your choice that you find us on. And the last thing I will say in my in my begging folks to to help us out for free is. Um, we all discuss movies. I'm guessing if you're listening to the show you're, you're you're a you're a movie talker. you not not you do not talk during movies. You talk to people <laughs> about movies. Um so I would ask that if you enjoy this show and you like what we do. Uh, please, in the next time you are discussing film with a friend, suggest our podcast to said friend, because I think uh, that would a maybe they'd probably like it if you are in the same sort of cinematic wheelhouse, or even maybe maybe they w- maybe you'll get into a conversation about the differences between me and Shahir, and maybe one of you will take one side and one of the other. You can wear us like Gundam suits in your mind. Um, it's early, but please, <laughs> I would I would like to request that because uh, it would mean a lot, and also it would help us out. So thank you in advance.
1: Uh, moving on to uh, Mike Flanagan's *Doctor Sleep*, uh, which is a film. Uh, again, I avoided entirely all the trailers for uh, a film, but I did uh, this hat month just by coincidence happen to read *The Shining*, uh, Stephen King's book uh, from which uh, Stanley Kubrick's famous nineteen was it nineteen seventy
0: six? Late seventies. I don't know the
1: specific. Uh, yeah, which I'll Google that. If while only we're... there was a machine in front of both. Nineteen eighty. Oh, really?
0: 1980. Wow.
1: 1980. Was, okay. Yeah, no, no. Actually, this is right. The book uh, The book came out in 1976, and the um, <coughs> film came out in 1980, uh, which is one of the most influential horror films yes. of all time. Uh, we've only done one Stanley Kubrick film on this podcast, which is 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, I would love us to do uh, a bunch of stand- In fact, that has been requested by a listener at one point that uh. we do more Stanley Kubrick films or we'll do the entire body of work of Stanley Kubrick um, <laughs> in one hour. In one hour. I. I think we could do that. Um, uh, Have you seen The Shining?
0: Yes. So um, first and foremost, I started uh, a while ago. uh, I mean, I saw The Shining, I think, when I was like 18 or 19. And then I hadn't seen it since. I just know it because it's so referential. And I'd seen clips in either film classes or... Um, you know the internet. Uh, you know, or you'd seen The Simpsons, or, 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 or anything uh, that any references it. Here's Johnny. Yeah. Um. Uh. I saw the recut of the trailer that makes the The Shining into a rom com called Shining. Which, if you haven't seen that, <laughs> go Google that. Uh. I've seen the 30 second to Mars video. Uh. Which takes from it. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know about that. Oh, it's real good. Oh, really? It's one of their earlier. I think it's off their second album. I can't remember the track, but um, it's... Oh, yeah, I know
1: this. Yeah. Video, the, the Kill. The
0: Kill, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's a very good... I mean, because they just literally just steal stuff from The shine. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: if you go to the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, the... Uh, the carpet. The, the carpet is from The Shining.
0: It's so fun. Yeah. Um. So, I, you know, the zeitgeist of The Shining has always been with me. I had not rewatched it since in full since I was 18 or 19. Oh. So that's a long time ago. I just rewatched it two nights ago. Okay. After seeing Dr. Sleep, I wanted to see Dr. Sleep and then I wanted to watch the show cuz I felt like at least for me, I was the f- the closest I knew of someone who ha- like the shining was not fresh in their minds and I only had like the zeitgeist of it. Yeah. So I wanted to go and do that. Um I mean I I have thoughts but it's like it's tw- it's 2019 thoughts. It's not like I don't know. I I feel like rewatching the shining now especially not having other than like Like what you said, like the reverence for what it helped create in in a style of of almost all horror. Um, I definitely have some issues with The Shining. Okay, um, but uh,
1: give me me the uh, cliff
0: notes. Cliff notes is it's an uneven film. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, once shit starts hitting the fan. And you, and that's the parts that I remembered. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a masterwork, but a lot of times beforehand, like maybe the first two thirds of the film, maybe half—I don't know. I did—I don't know the exact timing, but like it was a real slog. Like after you get through those beautiful shots leading up to the hotel, mm-hmm. um, it's just a real slow, at least in this day and age, stilted feeling film mm-hmm. um, where I I did not entirely engaged and then it's something else that i realized too is as i was going through it the transition that jack torrance goes through
1: mm-hmm.
0: i remember it being much more gradual and much more um nuanced mm-hmm. and here like it it felt like it jumped from everything's fine to him freaking out in that giant writing room like on a dime and i was like and, and like we hadn't really had many like supernaturally things happen at that point to him in the hotel, so th- there were, so my two points are, it feels very uneven in the beginning and it twists to, it twists Jack's character like almost at a breakneck pace. Right. In, in the in the film, in the book, which I have read the, the half of, right. I felt like it really does linger long enough to make the transitions and give you enough backstory and like really make the story rich. In the book? In the
1: book. You, so you read the book? I've read the first half of the book. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just,
0: I just haven't finished it. Uh,
1: okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, no. I I, I read the book uh, recently uh, for a book club, and uh, and then re- and then watched the movie, and uh, uh, just in preparation yeah. for Doctor Sleep. Though I am I'm, I'm more interested, I think, in your opinion, uh, uh, because you didn't see the movie before Doctor Sleep, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, how does this play in Doctor Sleep without having seen that? Um. Uh. The thing I think is interesting about The Shining. For me, uh, is how iconic every moment has become of that movie. You know, like the hedge maze, the 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 uh, the drive up to the hotel, the here's Johnny, the the actual the the two little girls, the uh, elevator with the with the blood, the ball
0: bouncing, uh, the the tricycle.
1: Everything about this movie is iconic. You know, like I, I was sort of I was amazed at how. Uh, a singular film; nearly every scene of it has become ingrained in the public consciousness in a sort of profound way. I would not say
0: nearly every scene, but I would say far more scenes than your average film. Like, because, because again, I feel like that first half of the movie. There's a lot of stuff that A, I didn't remember, and B, I was kind of like, okay, let's move. Like, maybe, but you know what? Sorry, that might be unfair. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm waiting for those moments that I remember. Yeah, you know, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, at any rate, the idea that the film has created so many iconic moments uh, still prevails, um, to the point where you know it's parodied uh, often. Uh, I don't think. I, I think most people would know what the "Here's Johnny" line is without even even having seen the movie. Uh, you know, like a lot of uh, maybe not in 2019, but like certainly. In the year two thousand, probably everyone knew that here's Johnny meant something uh, and it wasn't the Johnny Carson show. and and I think that's just this remarkable thing about this. one. I think Kubrick had that ability, and i I mean, I don't know if this is the because of the pacing of the film, mm. but it has to do with uh, I mean, I would venture to guess that it has something to do with the way he creates images. yes, like his, the the way he creates images is powerful, palatable. and I think it I mean, personally for me but this would be a debate thing is that it has to do with the pacing it has to do with the way he sits up images to be long and to be looked at and to be explored in detail um, that's that's a you know a broad debate I have I I certainly I think we had this in the conversation of 2001 a Space <coughs> Odyssey which is that these are slower movies yes. you know these are paced out movies but I think what he does in pacing those out is it creates this sort of um, slightly uh hypnotic sense of like what is happening in front of me and and i eventually whether whether i'm enjoying this or not i have to absorb the details of what's happening right and and you know and images become burned into your into your brain
0: and i think when the image is fantastic it really works and when it is a little bit for me at Mm -hmm. least when it's a little bit slower when nothing is sort of happening especially when you know it it's hard to not know at this day and age the shining even if i've only watched it once when you're like you're you're I don't know your enjoyment or your lizard brain or whatever is like I like I kind of want to get to the parts that I remember I like. There's a way that like I, I would want someone I'd be very interested to see someone who had never seen it, and I don't know if you could actually find someone culturally that. Wouldn't even know any of the reference. Like it'd be a real hard
1: find. I I think in 2019, and this is probably like 18 year olds. Yeah, no, I I think uh, this is one of the issues because the Doctor Sleep is not uh, tracking well at the box office, and one of the issues that people are coming up against is saying, "Well, 2019 audiences aren't that familiar, aren't that either nostalgic or familiar with The Shining enough to bring it back." Um, not as much as say uh, the other film I thought about a lot while watching this was Blade Runner 2048, uh, 2049. Nine. Um, which I think maybe had a similar issue, which was like, 2019 audiences aren't as familiar with Blade Runner, even though they may may recognize some of the images, but they aren't as familiar with the narrative. Yeah, um, that's So true. this was a this was a, a really interesting for one for me to go back to again. Mike Flanagan, uh, who I really uh, liked um, from his work, I think his his work on The Haunting of Hill House is extraordinary. Um, and you know, like what we know about Stephen King at this point, as well as obviously he's one of the most prolific writers in the world, indeed, but also. One of the uh, one of the detractors from The Shining. He is not a fan of Stanley Kubrick's vision of The Shining. In fact, he describes it uh, as uh, like a big, beautiful Cadillac, maybe akin to Carrie. Oh no, what was the car that? Uh, what was the car? Christine? Christine was oh, the yeah. car uh, with no engine inside of it. And his criticism of uh, The Shining is literally exactly what you just said, which is that he felt that um, the issue was that the book as a more gradual transformation of Jack Torrance. Um, but the movie basically is Jack Nicholson kind of operating at seven or eight before, you know, as he lands <laughs> yeah. uh, and only going up to 11 from that point on. Um, famously, he had the show remade as a miniseries um, with Stephen Webber playing the Jack Torrance role, uh, and it was not uh, well-received, you know, kind of in the in the sort of mold of uh, the, the late Stephen King miniseries adaptations like The the right. the, the Stand and It. Um uh, and so this, this film kind of operated at a weird intersection, I think, for me, in terms of like being a funneling point for at least three, if not four, different authors. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they are uh, the Doctor Sleep, the Mike Flanagan film, is, is uh, at the Nix's point between Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick, Mike Flanagan, and Shirley Jackson. Uh, whose book, the The Haunting of Hill House, was uh, kind of the direct reference for um, for the Overlook Hotel or for uh, the Shining. Yeah. And so, it it's an int- for me the thing that's really interesting here is the negotiation that goes on between those four things. I think Shirley Jackson is probably the least uh, the one that has the least say in it, but mm. I I think her, her work and the fact that Mike Flanagan adapted her work um, for The Haunting of Hill House kind of plays into the way he adapts this, because there are significant the, the, this film makes significant divergences from the Dr. Sleep novel, uh, but steers them back towards Stanley Kubrick's film. And and then in there, there are little points that I think are slightly Mike Flanagan-ish. Um, and so this is the, the, the least of which to say, this is a lot of movie. Sure. It's a whole lot of movie.
0: It's also, in my opinion, and, and again, I've only read... A little bit of King. I've watched a lot of the films, but also like uh, any graphic novel adaptation of Stephen King's work. I've I've tore through, mm-hmm. um, particularly um, Gunslinger Reborn um, and the Dark Tower. Stories, yeah, well, right? the, so like the stuff before the Dark Tower. Yeah, yep. but it's in the same wheelhouse. Um, so sad those books aren't aren't still going on. Um, what the Dark Tower? The the comics. Oh, they okay. just aren't doing them, any- and the art in them is so good. Um, but uh, this. This Doctor Sleep film, mm-hmm. in my opinion, feels the most Stephen King. Like, you know, I I totally get what you're saying the the sort of the pull of all four of those uh, authors, but this feels like at least from a from a structural or story or care I don't know, but like I was like this is ex- this is Stephen King's brain, like, and maybe Mike Flanagan uh, has been like engrossed in it or like talk to them a bunch or like whatever and I know it does take away from the book but it just felt to me it, for better or worse uh, l- a lot like those old Stephen King serials just with a serious budget and some and some better uh, directing and yeah. editing behind it um, I don't know and I liked it like I liked that about it it right. felt um, this is something weird I'll also say it felt real New England
1: Oh, it's in New Hampshire, right?
0: Uh, part of it is in yeah. New Hampshire, yeah. and uh, there is something. I mean, wherever you're from, you can probably speak to this too. But like, there are small little things when a piece of work is set in a place where you are from. Where if they get it right, you're just like, "Yep, yeah." Like it just clicks, and uh, yeah, this film, this whole film, even just the mood of it, felt real New England. Uh, so yeah. I um uh, so what I mean first thoughts exactly of sort of like what you actually felt about the movie.
1: So I think the thing is, um, I the for me the way this movie operated was that it was hark it it, it it in one half played as a sort of reconciliation of the shining, mm-hmm. reconciliation of the events of the shining, and how do those events affect our lives from this point forward? And I think to that end. Ewan McGregor's uh, interpretation of Danny is really great because he's not doing cues from Jack Nicholson. Yep, he's doing cues from a person who's recovering yes. from the effects of Jack Nicholson. He does. Um, Ewan McGregor, I think, who might be the same age as Jack Nicholson when he made that film. Or maybe young, uh, maybe slightly older, even. Um, still has a youthfulness about him, which reminds me more of what Danny felt like in yep. the original film. Um, you know, he is a person who's kind of been broken by this. And I got to say, Ewan McGregor as well, um, somewhere somehow uh, always has dead babies following him around in his dreams. Uh, between this and Train Spotting, um, that's a mild spoiler for uh, Doctor Sleep, but uh, it's it's early enough uh, in front of it. Um, so I think. You know, and then the other interesting thing is that the film is ultimately uh, about the way in which we deal with the traumas of our past. And it does that by essentially replicating the trauma, the the central trauma of the past, which is which is Stanley Kubrick's vision of the shining. Yeah. Um, and the there's there's an interesting thing about it, which is that the moments in which this film is ineffective for me, are the moments in which it is recreating *The Shining*? Um, there are, there are, there's one moment where they are kind of taking the events of *The Shining* and expanding upon it further than than we sort of anticipate it would. But there are several other moments where essentially we're replaying *The Shining*, and and for me those moments. Are the least effective, the the certainly interesting, and I certainly uh, enjoyed it. But I also, I think the more interesting part of this film to me had nothing to do with The Shining. Yes, it was just like ancillary characters from this other world that popped into this new world, and they ha- and the story of the true knot and Rebecca Ferguson's uh, Rose with a Hat. I think were more more compelling to me than when this film became. Uh, let's revisit the events of The Shining. So I think
0: the movie itself, through all of those new elements, for me, got it to the point where it had earned the ability to take the five or ten minutes and go through the greatest hits of the shots of The Shining once they came back. Because also, I love, and I this is, I guess, minor spoilers, but um, but we'll just keep moving. Uh, I love the fact that they go back to the hotel and the hotel has something to do in the story but the story is not about the hotel. The story is about Danny and the effects the hotel had on him. And when, when we finally go back, I think the reason why I really kind of dug those moments beyond a nostalgic point of view was like this is Danny's full circle journey. He's now taking the thing that has pained him his entire life and repurposing it for a different purpose. Yeah. It's 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 a real nice growth moment. I'm also a sucker to side note of any story that takes the I'll just call it quote villain of the first movie and turn it into an asset or a weapon to use against the villain of the second movie. Right. I. I mean, you could do T two. You could do a couple other things like that. But like, I just love that turnabout. Yeah. Where like this most horrible thing will now fight this most horrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a trope that will get me psyched every time.
1: I can see why you like Jurassic World so much now. I
0: love it. <laughs> Wait, what why what what happened in Jurassic World like that?
1: Uh, the T-Rex comes back and fights the uh, the Adominus. Well, uh, technically
0: in Jurassic Park it does that too with the
1: raptors. So yeah. let's not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but in a, from from one movie to the next. In Jurassic Park that happens in the same movie. Sure, sure, sure. Is sure. that, but is I, that yeah. what you were saying? Yeah, that... I mean,
0: I, but I like, I'm, I was giving new movie references. I, I will take it anywhere I can get it. Okay. <laughs> if it's at the end of a film or whatever, I just, I love that idea. Because it's also a moment where the protagonist of the story can turn their pain around and use it into a positive, quote, positive sort of way to reconcile the current thing going
1: on. I just dig it. I don't know. The second part that I really uh, enjoyed about this film is that I felt like there's a there's a moment later in the film where they use uh, a character as bait uh, and realize that someone else was the kind of the hook. Yep. And I kind of I, in a, in a, in an odd way, I think for me, what was interesting is that uh, Danny Torrance is the bait and Abra is the hook. Abra Abra to me was actually more compelling as the main character. Yes. Oh you yeah. Know, you know, she was she was the one I was like, oh, I think. I think uh, getting us to Abra via Danny is kind of like an interesting trick. Yep. Um. But at least I got to Abra, and mm-hmm. I and I really like her character because essentially she's dealing with the same, um, same power set as Danny was. You know, in some way, but yeah. she is far more powerful and is far more capable. And, and growing she... up in twenty nineteen. And she feels much more 2019, you know, like than Danny did. Then now, obviously she's a bit older as well. Yeah. But I think that's a that's a really interesting. thing. And then secondly, is this is this idea of the true knot, which I think yeah. you know a lot of people uh, have talked about the book uh, uh, in terms of the true knot in the book. Um, first off, the imagery of uh, the, the title, the true knot. The true knot is actually an umbilical cord reference, where it's like the 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 that's what they call when the umbilical cord wraps around itself. It's called a true knot. Huh. Um and the 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 shining itself the the comes from the idea that when a baby is born and still has part of the placenta sac over their face you know it's called the call um, and and King references this in the book um, as being what may be the reason some people have the shine and some people don't and you know Danny had uh, was born with the call kind of very yeah. very prominently over his face so I love that, that 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 Stephen King is kind of making his own versions of of um, I guess his own versions of the force, but it's kind of like built into the world of uh, of the uterus and, and <laughs> it's not print. metachlorians. Yeah, yeah, it's all about uh, you know how you're born and that sort of thing. So I think I think that's really interesting. Um, the true knot in the books, from what I've heard about, are uh, are really uninteresting and really? also and really uncompelling and also kind of silly. Everyone sort of talks about them being like ridiculous and not that not that interesting. Wow! In the film, I think they are genuinely interesting because it basically takes the vampire mythology and and it cuts it. It it does the essence of it, which is the vampire mythology. You know, has to do with. People who are willing to steal your essence, you know, like who are willing to steal your soul, and you know, like in the original vampire mythology, it had to do with blood. In this one, it has to do with your special ability, yeah, and your steam, your steam, as they call it. Um, And there's a scene with uh, with uh, Jacob Tremblay in this film uh, where they we see how they go about this process and i think you know i was saying earlier this movie is a whole lot of movie um it's a whole lot of movie in that there's a lot of sit-up to before we get to the things that matter you know like like uh seeing danny kind of basically fork off the wagon you know go into go into rehab find a new house find a job and then like to another point it's like cut to eight years later i know and it's a lot of movie set up, and you're like, oh, I wonder if this could have just been like, we just get to this point. But the thing is, by doing all that work, um, the this is another mild spoiler, the True Knot essentially get dispatched fairly easily um, by several of the characters, you know, like yep. uh, many of them just go down uh, very easily, and I was like, "Oh, but the thing about this is, I'm really satisfied when every single one of them goes down because I've gone through the whole process yep. of seeing how terrible they are, of seeing how much work it is for Danny to get to this point, of seeing how difficult it is for Abra and Danny to connect. That you know, like, and none of those things have to do with how they dispatch the true knot. But when it gets there, and and they just dispatch, I was like. I'm really satisfied by this. It
0: felt, and again, I I have to go back to it. I don't know how to do it. Like, this is just a colloquialism for me, I guess. That whole thing you just described is a very New England feel. A lot of, a lot of like, a lot of tough. Work, but that's rewarding that you wouldn't think would be rewarding. But then, when you get to a thing, you're just like, "I'm glad I did shovel all that snow." Like, yeah. there's a weird, yeah. <laughs> there's a weird amount like that.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it, yeah, you get to that point where you're like, "Man, I'm really glad I spent all this time with Danny." to get to this point. And like I'm really glad I spent all this time with Danny to get to Abra. Yep. And I'm really spent. I you know I'm glad i glad I've spent all that time watching The True Knot, you know, like fucking do this terrible thing to Jacob Tromley. even it's the really and it's really upsetting to yeah. watch. It's really terrifying to watch. But 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 I'm glad I the film puts us through all of that so that we can get to their dispatch. And I think, you know, in terms of reconciling the, you know, reconciling the trauma of the past with who we are today, the film you know Mike Flanagan, and you know, and he wrote the screenplay as well, um, is does a really good job in terms of like getting us making sure we understand how we get to the point where we can reconcile the past. yes, yeah. um
0: uh, also on the topic of Rose the Hat. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson, I think I've said this in a couple different podcasts where she's been in films that we review. I think she's probably my favorite actress. So most notably for the Mission Impossible series yeah, she's, at Oh, uh, she's so good. The um, And as Rose the Hat, I think pulls off, and this is the highest compliment I think I can give, pulls off a Buffy the Vampire Slayer villain-like flawlessly it's it's that it's that super evil uh character that is wicked and terrifying and you should rightfully fear them but also giving them real and i'll put it in quotes human moments of going to the grocery store or maybe the thing that they think they got their handle on they don't have their handle on as as best they that they think they do like when you can take a villain a monster and turn it on that sort of dime it makes them so much more compelling and it makes it like you like kind of like what you just said and we kind of see that the the Knot through her perspective right like or like she's the one that we're really latched on there's a couple other side characters in there that I think are developed well as well but like That's why I think with taking that slow moment with with all of the characters really does pay off. And when you get to the end when they're all back at the hotel, um, that confrontation, for me anyway, was highly satisfying. Yeah. Uh, And her performance was just – I just love casual, sure-of-themselves villains that can also – and this is an acting, I think, a skill too – that also – can, like, have a bit of a tumble, realize they're not invincible, and then carry on. Like, there's a... I don't know. It's just... That makes them 100% more interesting to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. She's a really well-considered villain uh, of this film. And I think the entire uh, true not... You know, like... Uh, and one of one the things... I, I guess maybe going back to The Shining um, that, that I was sort of really struck by in terms of the way um, Kubrick adapts Stephen King uh, is that, you know... King writes a lot of mythology For all of his characters So he writes a, Like when you When you read The Shining uh, It's a little bit of a, a, a Cocaine-fueled you know haze uh, You know the, But The Shining is really Ostensibly about a man uh, recon- Dealing with the fact That he is an addict And like trying to Identify like What is the precipice Of his addiction And can he overcome them And 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 There's a thing In The Shining In terms of Kubrick's adaptation Where he strips away All of that detail, and he strips away all the detail about what the Overlook Hotel is, what the history of the Overlook Hotel is, and he just gives us iconic images so that you have to do the work. You know, you kind of have to like... And you might not even get all the things, but you know something is up with the hotel. And I think... Flanagan doesn't operate in that same way, you yeah. Know? And 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 that's not a detriment. I think Flanagan basically is much more uh, akin to filling to to wanting to explore the mythology that Stephen King has set up. Yeah. And he's much more respectful of that mythology. And so you do get, but but he does it in a way that I think is really beautiful and touching. What what I, what I think Flanagan is completely different to to Kubrick. And it is King's um, criticism of Kubrick is that he is uh, ultimately. Ultimately invested in Empathizing with all facets of humanity—that's that—that was what I think was really compelling. Not just his camera trickery in um, *Ouija: Origin of Evil* was that he was able to empathize with all parts of, with every character in that yeah. in that movie. Um, I think his adaptation of *Gerald's Game* is actually a better film, in my opinion, um, and it's really profoundly beautiful. But but I think he does the same thing there, which is that he really cares about how both of these characters and a third character, who's also in this film, <laughs> um, ends up in this in this house. Um and so to that extent uh I think the the scene that really played beautifully for me was when um uh, rose the hat is um you know what the the elder statesman of the uh, yeah. of the true knot uh, who's this wonderful tall grandpa h- flick grandpa flick who's the actor who plays uh, Carl
0: B- Struckens
1: Carl Struckens who's in uh, Gerald's game who's in um the haunting of Hill house who has this oh, sort maybe of Struckens sorry uh, who has this sort of spectral body he's like 7 foot tall you know like really skinny face and that sort of thing and um He, when he is about to die, the Rebecca... Spoilers. 50 minutes in. Yeah, yeah, we're in spoilers now. Uh, Rose the Hat basically tells him, uh, your death will not be me. You have stood on the show. You know, you have lived for centuries. People have written about you. They have feared you. She walks him through this death in, you know, and like... In the exact same way that um, that that Danny walks through uh, people in the um, uh, people in the hospice, in the hospice through death, you know, like he, he they, they have this sort of mirror edge to each other, and uh, yeah, it's I, I think it's it's a really beautiful element of storytelling on on, on Flanagan's part.
0: Also, I knew he was
1: Lurch. Yep. I knew it.
0: I just couldn't put it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Adams Family films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk real quick. Let's talk real quick about um, the 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 hospice. Right. Because so this is something that I absolutely love about Stephen King's work, and I think that uh, Flanagan, you're absolutely right. Like, wants to explore the mythology behind characters as opposed to just get to the things. I did not know for any reason. Because I I I didn't I don't think I even I even watched a trailer for this. I think I'd seen images like in passing on a commercial or something, but I never like sat down. And I'm like, I'm gonna watch the Doctor Sleep trailer. Yeah. Um I think that the Doctor Sleep, the reason why he is Doctor Sleep is the the most perfect marriage of Stephen King-esque tying together threads. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he finally gets his life back together. He's working at a at a hospice. There's a uh, I want to find the name. Uh, there's a cat. Do you yeah. remember the cat's name? I don't remember the cat's name. Oh man, the cat. Oh, Azel. I know Az-E, Sorry, Azzie. the cat. Yeah, yeah. The, basically the the mythology in this in this hospice, and he finds out about this naturally through the cat going and sitting on someone's lap. Um, and then the the person in the bed is like, oh well. Um, as he knows. When people are going to die, she comes and says, you know, and Goodbye. sleeps, on, and the sleeps on the bed. Yeah. And then the fact that then they, they they keep calling him, a they keep saying Doc to him, which is his nickname in The Shining, but yeah. they are, it's because they think that he's a doctor and he's like, I'm not a doctor. And then they basically kind of can like, sort of like give him the honorary title of doctor and like Dr. Sleep because he'll stay with you when, as he comes and sits on your bed. Like that whole thing was so fucking beautiful. And also while it did, you're hundred percent right, tie thematically with- the the way that the true not dealt with death in their own side. Other than that, not necessary to the film, but like, but, but in that, but in that sort of thing, yeah. I'm saying that the general story.
1: Yeah, but, I'm, just, I'm I'm ringing up against your word there.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I'm sorry, I, I, but I, I was sort of going to take it back slightly in the sense that because it's not, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you've set yourself up for this.
1: But what right? am I saying with when you whenever you use that word?
0: Oh, I said the word necessary. I'm yeah. so sorry. Uh, well, not necessary for uh, for to get through the main threat through line of the tale, from just like a point A to point B scenario, but it is a hundred percent necessary for the for the emotional journey that actually ties you into all of these characters. Right, um, and that's something that I think is very Stephen King. Like mm. that's just I. I Th- consistently in his work that is what comes up there's something that you're not quite sure why it's there until you're done and then you're like fuck that's why that thing's there like yeah i mean he's a good storyteller yeah. There's
1: the reason why stephen king is like the most prolific author of of our generation yeah 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 um and i you know like but there is there, there's two two points i want to get to um uh, about this as well is that in terms of that uh, that willingness to kind of engage with the past one thing that i think flanagan is really smart about here is not digitally de aging characters by like recasting yep. characters, and then he gives them enough time to create their own versions of them. Yes, you know, and I think I think that is beautiful. Like even the most icon- one of the most iconic performances in the history of cinema, let alone you know, let alone the history of you know, probably the most iconic performances in the history of horror. Um, recasting Henry Thomas, the kid from E.T., who's also been in The Horning of the Hell House and a bunch of other things. Yeah as Jack Torrance, as basically as Jack Nicholson. I'm like, that is the most challenging, you know, like how do you even begin to approach that? Like how do you be, and, and Henry Thomas doesn't feel like Jack Nicholson to me. He doesn't, but I like that he's his own entity. I thought he felt correctly like him. Correctly, but like he's kind of, he's still his, like the tenor of his words and stuff. It's not, you watch it and you go, this is not, this is not Jack Nicholson. And also, yeah. But it's its own thing. And I, and I, and it's, and it's all seen through the veil of an adult Danny Torrance, you know, like so the the kind of the reckoning with nostalgia. I think Carl Lumbly, who's the person who plays um, uh, Dick O'Halloran. I th- he's really spot on. But again, it's his, it's an extension of the character. It, you know, he doesn't feel like he's just on for one scene a la Princess Leia yeah. in uh,
0: Rogue One. Originally it's, played by Scatman Crothers, by the way. Yeah, yeah.
1: originally Scatman Crothers. And and I, I've been doing a deep dive into Scatman Crothers. I really want to see Ralph Bakshi's film Coon Man, which okay. I haven't seen. Okay. Uh, there's a performance that Scatman Crothers does at the beginning of that, which is, uh, I'm not going to say the title here, um, but it was like, oh my God, this, yeah. you know, this person. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that that reckoning with nostalgia is kind of an interesting thing here because I'm I, I'm very curious um, how this film plays for people who have not seen The Shining because I think um, I think for for them the uh, uh, where the film fails for me uh, is the is the moments in which they are literally replaying elements of The Shining. And you know, like, like I, I wonder how those play for people who have no uh, affiliation. Yeah. You know, like, like, and, and for me, the the most, the, the most gratuitous. There, there's a couple of gratuitous. There's stuff, a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> but it's like you know, the 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 drive up to The Shining is uh-huh. the is the first few shots with the same repeated yep. camera movements. That, that's one of my favorite camera moves in the yeah. history of cinema. Um, but then you know, walking through the hallways of The Shining, I'm like, oh, if we don't know. What the Overlook hotel is. and if we don't know what happened in the shining, what are we to make of these twins? What no. are we to make of the blood in the in the in the uh, elevator? I think some of them could
0: be explained through the beginning when they recast Danny and they, like the young stuff that they do talk about in the thing because there are flashbacks and then uh, he comes back and teaches them about the boxes and how to do it and like yeah. all the ghosts from the hotel. like they do mention that now yeah. granted, it's not. It will. I think it would make sense. Yeah. It would not have the reverence. And and this film, for that ten minutes or whatever near the end, mm-hmm. is like it wants you to revel in this. Yeah. the it's most
1: a- The most explicit is when uh, Rose is walking up the stairs with Danny, and he's holding the axe. Yeah. That's like literally shot for shot. They're playing. You know, the fall is exactly the same as well. I was like, hmm, what does this mean if you don't care about The Shining?
0: I mean, I think. From a from a narrative perspective, I think it's sort of that sort of like full com, everything coming full circle. If not, I think you can just enjoy it for the for the cool ending that it is. My thing I was more talking about, I think, was like when it's just Danny get, waking up the hotel, yeah, and it's going through all yeah. the different things. Yeah, those are the things I think would make sense again narratively due to what we've learned just from the beginning of the film. Yeah, because I didn't remember a ton outside of the images, but then we see the images like Jack's face to Danny's face, looking through the, the door. Yeah. Um, the, the blood, I think weirdly, <laughs> the blood in the elevator, <laughs> I also never understood in the shining. Right. Like, and, and because in the film, the shining literally, you, you learn two things about the hotel. One, the old caretaker killed his family. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense to the little girls. That makes sense of the girls, yeah. sense of the, uh, the, the, the mater D that's now in the hotel, etc. But you don't get the larger picture of what else, like why everyone else, why all these other ghosts are there, other than a throwaway line while they're walking outside. they're like, you know, this was built on in an Indian burial ground. Yeah, and it's that, like
1: but that, and uh, that that is an interesting one because that uh, Indian burial ground thing is is an invention of Kubrick's. that's not in the book. Really? Yeah, it's not in the book at all. And and if you've ever seen uh, the documentary Room Two Three Seven, uh, which like explores the conspiracy theories around The Shining, uh, it's really fascinating because they take that idea and run with it. Yeah. Um. And and I I, I think um yeah it's a it's a comp- it's an invention of Kubrick's um and it's 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 something that he actually uses uh, images of throughout the film. Yeah. Um. And I, but I think it's to that earlier point, which is that. Kubrick was good at giving you just an image, and you had to do the work, and I think Flanagan re- cr- retakes those images, and you still have to do the work, which is kind of why I think it's okay. Yeah. But it's like, I'm very curious. Kubrick, <laughs> Kubrick,
0: I think, and again, I need to see that doc, but... Uh, it... don't, don't see that doc. Oh, is it, it bad?
1: No, it's... It's like it's a conspiracy you, theory. It, it, you want to throw you you there, <laughs> that that's one of the few docs where I'm like I just want to throw whatever it is I'm watching it across the wall. Aliens,
0: <laughs> um, but no, I think Kubrick. Uh, I think wanted I, that line to me in the film felt like a hand wave to sort of like get to the stuff he was interested in. Yeah. Like, like, all right, I'll throw you this bone. So you shut up about what, the, what's happening with this hotel, because he probably cut out a lot of the, he did cut out a lot of the, the book thing, but where, where, um, here in, and especially in, in Dr. Sleep, uh, because we only have that one, the only tie Danny has familial familiarly familially to the hotel is Jack. I mean, and his experience there with Jack, and of course his mother, but the, yeah. that she got away, uh, and then all of the ghosts that um, were from previous murders—not even the murder of the previous caretaker, the little girls are, and yeah. a couple things—but like that are coming for him past the from the hotel because he's interacted with them. But they're yeah. not all of the characters, all of the ghosts in *The Shining*. Have really nothing to do with Danny. It's the it's the it's the fact that they it's he's a familiar entity, and then
1: they're like, well, fuck this thing, like. Yeah, and it, it, the I guess the, in terms of the mythology of the actual world that King has built, um, in previous versions, you know, like in The Shining, um, the the hotel wants Danny, like they've always wanted Danny mm-hmm. because of his shine, yeah. But they do it through Jack, yeah. Um, and in the new version. Uh, I guess there's this idea that that the hotel are steam eaters like the true knot are. yeah. Um, and they, I don't know if it means that they can basically have eternal life for them because they are spectral, whereas the true knot are, uh are literal. Um, and and I'm I'm not sure exactly how that all plays out. But I, it's you know, I, I again, it was kind of satisfying to watch. Yeah. The interesting thing is is. Um, you know, and in terms of this, I think this first idea, kind of, I mentioned, which is that the the film is a nexus point between King, Kubrick, um, and Flanagan, is that at the end, uh, first off, in uh, in Doctor Sleep, the book, right. uh, there is no, um, there is no, um, they, they don't go back to the hotel because in the original book, the hotel was burnt down, but in right. Kubrick's movie, the hotel lived on yeah so so then in dr sleep (laughs) we have to reconcile that the fact that you know like in in, between the book and the movie there is a difference here and we have to reconcile it like uh, in in the book they go back to the site of the hotel but Uh it's completely gone and then what because it does that then the the movie then basically essentially replays jack's ending from the shining so jack at the end of the shining originally was about to kill danny but then Danny convinces Jack that no there's still my dad is still under there you're just wearing a mask which is what Abras is to Danny uh, yep. to Danny now and then and uh, in the original book Jack decide, you know, sort of comes to his senses slightly, even though he's kind of like all pretty much gone in the same way that Danny yeah. does here and goes and sets the boiler off, which is what happens at the end of the original book, but didn't happen at the end of the original film. <laughs> right So now they bring that back. And that's that sort of reconciliation of Kubrick's vision and King's vision. Essentially what Flanagan does is give... Kubrick's movie the ending that Stephen King's book originally had and 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 I think it's it's sort of like a weird negotiation but
0: also inserts a lot of the 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 character development and backstory and mythology from King's books back into the cinematic version of it. like you're right it's a it's a yeah. given to te- it's
1: it's a it's a you know and it's a it's a real negotiation that's happening here yeah um that's impressive and- as fuck it, it's re- like, I, I think the balancing act that Flanagan has to do here is so tricky and he pulls it off. Unfortunately, the side effect to that is that, but, but I'm okay with this because this is what the film is about. Yes. The side effect to that is this is a film that lives in the shadow of Stanley Kubrick's movie. And that's okay because ultimately the film is about Danny living in the shadow of Jack Torrance. I can uh, see that.
0: I also think that isn't the only read because I, again I know The Shining. Yeah. Uh I have uh, I was about to say I have reverence for the shots. I I don't I have reverence for like what it did for cinema, I guess. Yeah. And I'd only seen the film once through before seeing this. I think this movie culturally I am on board with what you just said. This movie 100% lives in the shadow of The Shining. Yeah. Personally not so much, right? Like it's it kind of is its own rich thing that is referencing back to another thing that I personally, other than the the you know the secondary third fourth fifth effects of that thing, hasn't really affected me that much, right? So so I think overall, yes, one hundred percent the shadow, and I love that call you just did about the thematic of you know Danny being the shadow that makes total fucking sense, yeah. Uh, but for me, I don't have that shadow. Over me,
1: but I think that's. But I I think that's. It's not that the film is living in the shadow without recognizing it's in the shadow, and that's and that's why right. it I works. Hear what you're saying. You know, like uh, I think for me, the the sort of least successful things are when the film literally replays right. those scenes. But 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 the most successful thing, the and and the most one of the most successful scenes in the movie, and I think I, I think this is a great movie, and I, I really enjoyed it, was. The scene where all of those ideas kind of come together is when Danny and Jack have to have a conversation in the hotel. Yep. You know, and Jack is now the caretaker, uh, which was uh, Lloyd in the free in the previous. Was uh, the bartender? Yeah, Lloyd yeah. was the previous uh, 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 bartender in that scene, and now Jack is the is the bartender in that scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that that conversation that they have to have with each other is really interesting because you can see, you know. Danny still feels like a little boy in that scene. He's still dealing with this, and he's fighting against it. And I think that is actually a really successful negotiation between the previous film and the other film. I do think that, unfortunately, what it means is, is that unlike... You know, look, look, Kubrick didn't have to contend with a bigger mythology, but he did have to contend with the fact that that The Shining was one of the most successful books at that time. Everyone had read The Shining. You know, like, it was like the Da Vinci Code of... of sure. The spirit, you know, like, everyone had read it. So he was having to contend with the fact that everyone knew what happens in The Shining. And he did things that were, like, really purposely... Oppose what happened in the Shining, like for example, Dick O'Halloran dies in the in Kubrick's version and not in the book, and that's and everyone knows that that's a point of difference. Yeah, um, and also the the hotel doesn't you know live on in the um, in the book, um, so Kubrick was able to kind of itch out this 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 place where. You know, people associate The Shining with Stanley Kubrick now, and and his vision is kind of, in a way, superseded Stephen King's book um, culturally. Yeah, yeah, culturally. And and I think the the issue here is that Flanagan isn't able to pull off. The same trick, much in the same way that Flanagan did with The Haunting of Hill House. You know, The Haunting of Hill House is an adaptation of Shirley Jackson's book. And it felt like his. But it felt like his entirely, because he he transforms it in such a profound way that it becomes only his.
0: But what if the feeling of his, quote-unquote, right, that feeling that we're describing, is actually... That marriage that we talked about before, that negotiation, as you put it, yeah, like what if that is his thing, like that? Like,
1: I think I think that is,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, like and 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 while that is not as, um, I don't know if it was a memorable or sexy yeah. or like culturally, you know, whatever, like I don't think it's any less impressive. It's just super different, yeah. Like and and uh, this is the other weird thing: we, the time we sort of live in, right? Like, because The Shining was the the the, the focal point of the beginning point of so much of how we deal with horror in cinema. Dr. Sleep's not going to be that. But, like, I, I, I don't think almost anything that sort of linked in could be that. The closest thing I could come back to is sort of if we're looking at, like, what should be the reinvention of a genre based off of a sequel is Matt Max Fury Road. Right. But but that actually hasn't really happened since
1: Fury Road. Uh, I mean, the, the thing that I thought a lot about here was The Force Awakens. Okay. You know, I thought a lot about The Force Awakens and the shadow that that film lives in in terms of A New Hope. And, and. And having to like reconcile the past with the prison and that sort of thing, and and whether w- you know, like, there's an article in the Washington Post recently which talked about nostalgia being one of the greatest commodities of uh, American culture today, and like, how do we, um, the problem, you know, and that's totally fine, and I think uh, the problem is, is where do we start creating new things that become the cultural product of generations right. to come, and and you know, like. You, I, I I actually think that this film lives in a really interesting space, which is that it is a really good reconciliation of the past yeah. with the present. Um, now, will the the the, the sort of by by virtue of doing that, will the present in this film become the b- be, Become its own cultural, relevantly touched on point in the future. And I, and the thing that I sort of like get sad about in that is that I I love Abra. I think Abra is a great character. Yeah. And I'd love to you know like I'm kind of like hmm. What I want is just see a standalone film with Abra on her own that has nothing to do with The Shining from this point on. If it's yeah, I mean, if it's in this vein, I think so. I think so. And and you know like that's. I don't know if that'll ever happen. This film is not tracking well. It's yeah. not doing very well in the box office. But uh, I think it is a really, you know, and this will be my final thoughts here, a really strong reconciliation between Kubrick, King, Flanagan, and a little bit of Shirley Jackson thrown in there just for good measure. yeah. um, and it and the tightrope that this film walks is really well balanced, well placed. Unfortunately, it means that it doesn't leap off into its own into its own category of thing. Yeah. But I think, if there's a sort of uh, a difficulty in like having to follow Stanley Kubrick, this follows it really well. Yeah,
0: I think in this day and age, with the amount of media that is created and consumed, it is all it is near impossible. I'll never say never, but to actually do something like The Shining did, like we're we're we've. We as a culture are ingesting far more visual media than we ever have. Right. Uh, And therefore, finding that thing that's going to be the touch point of then what everything else sort of mimics, not only in in style but in moments – is going to be harder other than like memes and things like that because they go away so quickly now
1: here's just one thing i would say yeah. is i think those films are being made they're just not there's the second point is uh, is that we're not able to absorb them as quickly but those films are definitely being made and robert Eggers, who we're going to talk about in terms of the lighthouse yeah, yeah. which a case in point of creating is entirely his own thing
0: sure but those moments like the witch mm-hmm. being a fantastic film there's n- there's not a cultural touch point. And again, it's not the same amount of time, of course, but like as all of the moments in the Shining. Like we sometimes like will quote in funny ways like the the black uh black the, Phillip. the black Phillip being like, uh, do you wish to taste butter? Like <laughs> that sort of thing. But like that it's not – those moments aren't the shining moments, right? Like, because well, – and I don't think they're any less – Because
1: there's so much media now. Exactly. That's yeah, what I'm saying. I yeah. don't
0: think they're any less valuable. I'm yeah. saying I don't know if we as a society, as we currently are creating media, can ever really have this uh, one sort of thing that is that touch point for everyone again. Yeah. It's just – it's it, it, it seems unlikely. I love this movie, Doctor Sleep. Yeah. I, I the, the When I came out of the film, uh, I was like, is it good? Is it is it whatever? And I was like, you know what it is for me? It's fucking cool. <laughs> it's a cool. Yeah, <laughs> I got him. Got him. You okay? Oh no, we're dying. We have to wrap it up. Yeah, I think this movie's cool. Yeah, uh, every aspect of it is just like I'm on board. You 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 put depth in things that most things like this probably wouldn't put depth into. Uh, the the villains were you know not uh, I wouldn't say relatable but understandable. Um, Danny's journey, Abra's journey uh minor characters journey all sort of uh, really really came together and coalesced well Uh I will say I feel like I've been saying nothing but good things about this film you know what I didn't like Sheher? what's that I did not like the effect on the eyes of the true Knot people oh the, uh... the the little shimmer
1: oh I like that
0: I thought it felt in comparison to the rest of the effects work in the film felt very like front layer of a of a composite okay and a little bit like it never felt like it was actually in their eyes it just felt like uh, it, that felt to me like an episode of Supernatural which again I like Supernatural yeah. but like there's a limit on the effects budget and some of the effects in this movie are phenomenal it's just that every time I was like no.
1: Oh. I just, I like the look that uh, uh, Rose gives Abra when she has that little shine in her eye. And it, it like, it, I think it like, yes. it tops off the whole sort of look that she's getting. I like the, the performance.
0: I, I kind of, again, this is the minorest knit of picks, but a uh, pick of Nick's uh, nit? I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was the one thing. Other than that, yeah. <laughs> I think this movie is phenomenal and you should uh, 100% go see it. I, I wish it was doing better in the box office, but yeah. I, I this might be one I actually buy. Really? Uh I just liked it a lot. Uh anyway, everybody this has been the only podcast about the film Dr. Sleep. Uh, Shaheer, when you are not waking up from your uh, doctoral slumber to come over here bright and early on a Saturday morning, where can <laughs> folks find you?
1: Uh, people can find me sleeping in my coffin at <laughs> www.shaheerdow.com That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D Matt, when you are not enjoying trips down memory lane, where can people find you? You can
0: find uh, me spelling all sorts of fiendish words backwards at M-A-T-T-H-E-W K-R-O-L dot for my life and works. So Skeletor the number four PREZ or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, check out the good works we are doing over on Extra Credits. We got, oh, ooh, oh, actually, by the time this comes out, we're going to have our first uh, Hercules Extra Mythology uh, or Heracles because we're doing the Greek version.
1: Okay. Um, Heracles and Hercules are not the same. There, it's the same myth
0: redone. Yeah, yeah, is that, is yeah. I, I don't Heracles know. and Hercules. So Heracles is the Grecian myth, and then uh, Hercules is the Roman adaptation of that myth.
1: Huh, okay. um, and we'll be talking about that in the lighthouse, no doubt.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Uh, that's what we're going to be doing next week. Sorry, guys. No Charlie's Angels. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. We're not doing Charlie's. Angels I would like to do Charlie's Angels. There's too many there's movies. Too many movies. We went over the list, and it's uh, we it's, pretty much have
1: movies to go through to us through to March next year.
0: It's I think. Fucking daunting. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Go to sleep. Or wake up. Wake up. Sleep. Red
1: Rob.